Let's talk for a second about creation. You know, you know how amazing creation is? I mean, the unbelievable powers that Hashem instilled into this world. It really is remarkable. And what are we? You know, I was reading recently about one of the astronauts who went up to the moon. So we know Buzz Aldrin. We know, uh, you know, who was the other guy who walked on the moon with him? Neil Armstrong. And then there was a, a their, their controller who was inside the machine. He stayed inside the ship that went up there. And he said, he talks about the experience of looking back at Earth, how many millions of miles away it was. And it's like a little teeny, teeny little speck. One teeny little speck. Now, it's very easy when we're sitting by our dining room table or our kitchen table and we're, you know, we're, we think like we're able to control the world. And it's like, and you look at it from a perspective that he was sharing. It's like we're this teeny, teeny, teeny little speck, a microscopic speck. Now, there are a couple of points here. Number one is for us to understand the magnitude of the Almighty's power. The Almighty's desire, though, is the entire creation was created for us. So although we're that little tiny speck, the entire world, the entire, everything that there is in this universe was created for us, not for just for the, for science purposes, not for all of those creations were created for us. And it's important to constantly remember that not just the, um, in existence that we have here in this world and it is what it is. No, Hashem wants us here to do everything we can to connect to him on a higher level. So recognizing that, understanding that is a little bit humbling. It's a little bit humbling for us to understand, wow, Hashem invested in me because he cares about me. Me, Hashem wants me to connect to him. So what we're seeing here is that there is a, um, there is a very clear purpose in us being here. Okay, There's a very, very specific purpose for why God wants each and every one of us here. But he wants us here. If you, okay, it's a very important thing to knock into our brains. We got, we got to understand this very, very clearly. If Hashem didn't want us, he wouldn't put us here. But he wants us. He loves us. He cares about us. And he wants us to be productive. He wants us to succeed. Right? I just saw this morning, I saw a, a great, great statement, a, f- a phrase, or one of those memes. It says, Hashem didn't just create you and leave you here and drop you off. You know, delivery, curbside delivery. Hashem is walking along the journey with you the entire way. It's important to, re- to remember that. We're not here alone. We have Hashem who is by our side, who wants every single step of our way to be successful. That is the goal. That is the goal for us to understand and have that humility so that we can, we can connect. Okay, so now, the more honorable a man is, the more he recognizes how, how delicate he is, Okay. This is talking about all the powerful people, the giborim, the, the strong and mighty people. They're nothing in front of God. Right? And the people with great name, as if they don't, they don't exist. The wisest of people are like without wisdom. And all of the intelligentsia, they're like without any, any intelligence, without any wisdom. Lefanecha in front of the Almighty. It's like you see, you see this little tractor, right? This little tractor can do a lot of damage. But then comes this huge, huge tractor, right? Takes it apart in no time. It's like you're so small. You're so, 
insignificant in the world of tractors. But in humanity, we have to understand that relative to God, and we brought this last week, we mentioned about Chafetz Chaim, uh, who said, why was the why is there so much technology in this world? Do you remember I said this? I always said it in a different class, basically in a different class. But of the Chafetz Chaim, why is there such an, a, a tremendous growth of technology in this generation? The Chafetz Chaim passed away in 1934. Okay? Technology then is nothing compared to what it is today. Today you can control your house from your watch. Um, you can you can just talk and say to Google or to Apple or Siri or to Alexa. You can tell them exactly what to control and what to do and to turn on and to turn off and all of these amazing things that you can do. Okay, great. It really is remarkable. It's remarkable that the Chafetz Chaim spoke about this over a hundred years ago, where he said, he "says because we're living in a generation," he said, "that needs to understand emunad, which needs to understand God." And because we are so caught up in our world that we're living in, we don't understand that God is everywhere. See, he says the following. He says, if you could be standing in Poland and talking to someone on the phone in England, you'd be like, wow, that's unbelievable. I can be sitting here and talk to someone over there. Or if you're on your phone now, in the right, in the United States, and you can go on the other side of the world, have someone else there, and you can see them, and you can talk to them. And you think the Almighty can't see you from the heavens? You think the Almighty doesn't know what your thoughts are? You think the Almighty doesn't know what your intentions are? Today, they can perform surgery from across the globe, virtually, through computers. And you think the Almighty doesn't know what's going on in your heart? Right? The camera could see, but God can't see. So the Chavetz Chaim says the reason why this generation has technology is so that we can see godliness. So that we can see how great the power of the Almighty is. Right? It really is an unbelievable idea the Chavetz Chaim is sharing with us. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us that the greater one is, the greater one really is, the more they have to understand their relationship with Hashem and where they stand. Humility means talk, taking your rightful space. Someone who's humble doesn't try to take someone else's space. I don't need to, to, to take away your space. We can all coexist in a beautiful world where everyone is shining a shining light and it doesn't have to be only one beam coming from me. Everyone else can do their share. Everyone else can do, can do great things. Before we, we continue, I want to talk about a few tools that we could use to enhance our humility in our lives. Here are a few, few little tools. Number one, complimenting others. Complimenting others helps build a self-confidence. It's a never-ending work to overcome our arrogant tendencies and remain in focus of our role and place. All right, so the more we're able to go out and acknowledge other people, compliment other people, Talk to other people about how good they are and how great they are. And so many times uh, one can feel that, and this is, this is known, you know, you talk in, in the world of psychology, you talk about, you know, well, many times people have a hard time giving a compliment because they're afraid that it's going to weaken them. And it's just the opposite. It's not going to weaken you. Giving a compliment to someone, saying something nice to someone will only make you bigger will only make you better, will only make you a greater person. 
The second thing for humility, second tool, prayer. Prayer is a humbling experience. I don't have all the answers. So I need to reach out to the one who does have all the answers. It puts things into perspective very, very quickly. I humble myself before Hashem. That's why when we start the Amidah, what do we do? We bow to recognize we're submitting ourselves to the Almighty. The first thing we say, Baruch, we bow, bend our knees. Ata, we bow over. Hashem, we stand up, right? We stand up uh, upright when we say the name of Hashem. We're learning that Hashem is the creator of the universe, right? We're accepting that we don't know it all. And we're accepting the judgment of whatever Hashem decrees for us. If we understand what prayer is, essentially what prayer is, is stopping and recognizing that Hashem is in control of everything. Because if we didn't believe that Hashem was in control of everything, why are we praying to Him? He's, he's in control, right? We ask Him for success in our livelihood. We ask Him for success in our, in our health. We ask Him for success in understanding and wisdom. We ask Him for success with, with uh, we should have proper judgment. We, we ask for success in, you know, in our exile. We ask for success in forgiveness. We ask, right, there's constant success that we're constant asking of the Almighty because we realize how limited we are. We realize how fragile we are. Okay, that is the purpose of prayer is to connect to Hashem and to really talk on a one-to-one -one direct. That's why we say Baruch Ata. We say directly to God. We don't say Baruch to whoever the, the power is, to whoever the force is out there that controls. No, 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 no. We're talking very directly. We said it's a father standing right next to us. Right? We say Baruch Ata. Praised are you, Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem. Tool number three in conversation, let someone else talk. Let someone else talk. Uh, many times uh, one can be in a conversation and they always want to get the next word out. They're not even listening to what you're saying just to, so that they can have that chance to talk. You want a tool for humility? Let someone else talk. You're standing around a whole group of people. Let someone else do the talking. We don't always need to take center stage, right? I'm not here talking, uh, 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 pontificating to everyone here. I'm talking to myself. I told you when we started these classes that the goal of the Musser series is for me to work on myself. And I'm sharing my own learning with everyone out loud. Um, so don't, don't think I'm speaking to you. Number four, the fourth tool is admitting the truth. How difficult that is sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in our own world and it's very difficult for us to admit the truth of our wrongdoings, admit the truth of how we may have misunderstood something. Right? It's like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I, I, I know, right? No. You know, my father used to say, he still does say this to us, I don't know is a very, very intelligent answer. There's one more thing which is, which is to teach us humility, and that is, you know, I was actually learning this yesterday in the Talmud, it says, in, 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 um, in Proverbs 9, 8, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, give critique, give criticism to a wise person, and they will love you for it. What's the difference? And in the beginning of the, of the verse, it says, if you criticize a, a, uh, someone who's a, a jokester, they'll hate you for it. 
Why, what's the difference between the two? Because one realizes that my purpose in life is to become a better person. So you, by whether or not you say, use the right words or don't use the right words is irrelevant. You are take going out of your way to help me become a better person. I love you for that. Thank you for going out of your way and sharing a piece of wisdom, a piece of yourself with me. Thank you for taking time to critique me. To, right? That means you care about me. That means you love me. That means you're, even if you don't love, even if it's out of spite, even if it's out of hatred, if you say it to a wise person, they will appreciate it. You know why? Because it's a tool to help me become a better person. Now, obviously, it's more pleasant. The ways of the Torah, the way of pleasantness. It's a way of kindness. It's a way of peacefulness. So we have to remember that if we are criticizing someone, we have to do it in the most pleasant and, 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 and beautiful way, right? in the most loving way. It's a free session of getting a person to perfection, right? It's an unbelievable tool. If you're a wise person, you'll be very grateful. You'll be very thankful that you had that opportunity. For free, someone came over to you and criticizes you in the store, right, about how you're raising your children, right? If you're in Israel, that happens on a daily basis. Everybody's raising your child for you, right? You go to this, you, go to this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Da, da, da. Yeah, everyone tells you, right? That's because if you're a wise person, you'd appreciate it. That's what King Solomon says. A wise person appreciates every opportunity to become better. It's very important to have someone that you accept from. Have someone who can constructively criticize you and you'll accept what they say. Right? That could be your rabbi, that could be a best friend, that could be a sibling, that could be a parent, but who can tell you something straight and you not get offended and not get insulted and just realize that you are not a complete perfect person and that this is a tool, a, a, a very helpful uh, insight into yourself that you t or typically would not be able to see in yourself. And that is also another tool for humility. Think of a coach who's trying to train the next Olympian swimmer, okay, or the next Olympian athlete in any sport, right? The Olympian, while he's in the training, should appreciate that their coach is there to guide them so that they can get that next gold medal. If he's going to start kvetching every time the coach tells him something without kid gloves on, right, he'll never get his gold medal because right. you're never going to be challenged. Everything's with kid gloves. Well, we'll give you a participation trophy as long as you tried your best. No, come on. I want to see. I want to see fifty push-ups. Let's go. I'll, you know, I'll... that's the person who's going to make them into a great person. Now, it doesn't mean that everything has to be rough and tough, but a person should appreciate that this person who's giving them this great critique is their coach. That's going to get them to their gold medal, and that's right. Now, if the coach doesn't see it that way. Okay, so they don't see it that way. But we have to see life as one big playground helping us reach that gold medal. And every person along that way is a coach, guiding us, mentoring us, teaching us, even if they don't even say it to us. But we just see from example, right? When you go in the store and you see someone yelling at their child and you say, you know what? I'm going to take note to, of that and I'm not going to yell at my child like that, right? That's why Hashem sent me this message. So they're also your coach mentoring you what not to do. By the way, it's very just a side side note, okay? If for anybody who thinks that uh, someone who criticizes you has to be perfect in order to criticize you, tell me one coach that's able to get the gold medal. 
None. You say, well, let, let me see you get the gold medal, and then you can tell me, then you can have the right to tell me. Well, no coach is able to do it. They're able to coach you to help you bring out your best potential. They themselves aren't able to do that swimming. They're not able to give those punches in the boxing ring, but they're able to coach you to guide you how you should be doing it correctly. And you're saying it's, it's always that it's like, oh, what, you know, what are you coaching me? You can't do it yourself. Well, why are you criticizing me? You're not perfect in, in, in your ways as well. So it doesn't mean you can't be a coach. Right? Just because someone else is not perfect doesn't mean that they can't help guide us to our path of perfection. So don't throw it back at people. Oh, let me see you work on all of your uh, relationships and then start guiding me and counseling me on relationships, right? Don't, it's not necessary. Let me see you work on, you know, your anger and then you can start criticizing my anger. No, you have a free coach. You're a wise person. King Solomon tells you, go hug them and kiss them. Thank them for bringing it to your attention. Thank them for helping, giving you free advice, helping you become a better person. That is another tool for humility. Now, it's very interesting that if we learn the letter of the Ramban, the letter of the Ramban gives a very beautiful guidance to attaining humility. He says the first step is to speak all of your words with pleasantness, with a soft tone. To every person and at every time, at every moment. And by this, by always speaking with a soft tone, always with a pleasantness, you will merit to never be angry, to be saved from anger. Right? What is anger? Anger is the lack of patience. Anger is a sense of entitlement. Anger is a lack of humility. So what, what the Ramban is talking to his son in this letter, what he says to him, if you get a chance to read this letter, it's such a beautiful letter, right? Where the Ramban is guiding his son for life. And he says, he, he says, and what, what are we saying here? Anger is the worst trait that brings a person to sin. Out of anger, a person can lose his entire world. Out of anger, a person can lose every relationship that he has. Anger is one of those traits that needs to be completely eradicated from our toolkit. Anger is not a good trait for us to carry with us. Get rid of it. Don't use it as a, as a resource anymore. Obviously, everything that Hashem creates could be used for good and bad. So what can anger be used for in good? To hate evil. Okay, but your neighbor is not evil. Your friends are not evil. Your spouse is not evil. Your children are not evil. So in those areas, there shouldn't be any anger. The fact that someone isn't helping you the way you wanted to, them to, the fact that someone's not responsive enough the way you want them to be responsive doesn't make them evil. In the process of being patient, in the process of not getting angry, we also become more humble. Rav Shach, the leading Torah scholar of the previous generation, he passed away in 2000, and, and uh, I think in the year 2000, 1999 maybe. 
he once came to visit Yeshiva Eish Torah in Jerusalem, right opposite the Kotel. And he spoke to, Rabbi, to the head of the Yeshiva, Rabbi Noach Weinberg. And he said to him, if one man was able to murder six million, one man is able to save six million. And he was saying to Rabbi Noach Weinberg, who started a movement of people getting involved in their Judaism and people discovering and people uh, connecting and people growing. And he, he was referring to him, you are able to be the, the opposing power to the Hitler. Hitler murdered six million. You can build six million. I always think of, of the Susan Komen Foundation. Who would have thought that the machoist of athletes, football players, would be wearing pink gloves and pink sneakers and kicking a pink football, right, for breast cancer awareness? Who would have thought? But one person says, I need to do something. There are many people who try to do something. There are many people. And they're all great, all fantastic initiatives. But here one person said, I'm not stopping. I'm going to do this. And just like there, there's terrible things that could happen to a person, there are great things that a person can respond with. Every power has a counter, a counter. Every force in the world has a counter force that can be its match. And that's our goal in life. Our goal in life is to utilize all of the resources we have to build good. That's, that's what we're here for. The idea that we are not just supposed to, you know, say, well, this is, this is the reality. This is the reality. I'm just going to stay, you know, stay, stay in my complacency. And no, use all of the abilities that you have to counter it. I'll, I'll tell you what, like this. If a person has the impulse to get angry and they work on it to not get angry, every time you don't get angry is such a, a, a heavenly moment. Right, that you're in full control of yourself. It's not your, and I'll tell you that a lot of anger is inherited. It's inherited by how we saw our parents react to certain things. It's inherited by how, how we saw some friends react to certain things. It's inherited by how we saw culture react to certain things. You know, it could come from, from the television, it can come from, from movies, it can come, this is the way we're, we're not going to tolerate this, right? And we have to look at ourselves and say, one second, is this the way I want to be responding to things? Is this the way I want to uh, react when, when things happen? And this is, it, it is an opportunity for us to take stock of how we react to things, how we deal with challenges, okay? And not just allow ourselves to react in a way that perhaps is not becoming of us of what we expect of ourselves, when we are the deliverers of critique, so we have to be very, very careful because we can't expect that that person, we can't say, hey, look at the Proverbs 9.8 and you'll see that you should be a wise person and thank me. That's not when we are giving the critique. When we're giving the critique, we have to remember the Talmud. The Talmud says, I'll give you the exact source again from my, my learning yesterday in Yevamot 65b. Yevamot 65b says, just as it's a mitzvah to criticize someone who will listen, it's a mitzvah not to criticize someone if they will not listen. If you know that they're going to listen, you have a mitzvah to say it. It's a mitzvah in the Torah, right? The, the mitzvah in the Torah is Hochach Tochach Namitach Leviticus 1917. 
It says a verse in the Torah that you should, it's a mitzvah for you to criticize someone. You see someone going down the wrong path, it's a mitzvah to critique them and guide them to the right path. But the Talmud qualifies that in Yevamot 65b, saying that's only if they're going to listen to you. If they're not going to listen to you, it's a mitzvah not to say a word. So how do I know if I'm going to listen, if they're going to listen to me? Well, get to know them. If you don't know them well enough, you have no business criticizing. You will see a random stranger in the street. You have no business criticizing them about how they're raising their children. You have no business criticizing someone about their anger when you don't know anything about them. When you get to know them and you know how they're going to react, you have to choose the right words. You have to choose the right time. You have to choose the right place. You have to choose the right setting. Make sure not to embarrass them, not to say it in front of other people. You have to be sure not to say it in a, in, a, in a hateful way, rather in a loving way. If you really, really love that person, you're gonna find, you will find a way to say it that is in the most sensitive, in the most thoughtful, in the most pleasant way. Humility is living with the recognition that the light that shines from us is a reflection of our creator's goodness. And they represent the character and traits he bestowed upon us. Okay? The goodness that we have is the almighty shining light through us. If you think for a second, okay? Think for a second. Anybody here know anyone who is sick through the coronavirus? I know a couple of people. I've spoken to them. And the level of how delicate we are as human beings. Right, how fragile we are as human beings. We, we feel like we're all powerful, I'm healthy, I ran a marathon, I'm so right. And then with, you know, it's like, I like the joke, I, I, I've seen this and I've said this many, many times. They say that uh, only a woman who has given birth without an epidural can understand a man with a cold, Okay. It, what, what happens to men? They get a little flu, they get a little cold, and they fall apart. It, it really is remarkable that people, we can see the, how delicate we are as human beings. With one little, you know, one thing of our, our body, one little aspect goes off, offline. Right? One little thing. Right? One thing goes wrong, and everything falls apart. Once that homeostasis, which is the balance of the body, falls apart, I mean, it, it really is, it, it's amazing. We're so fragile. And yet, people feel like they are in control of the world. What do we have to be arrogant about? So, humility is recognizing our true state, who we really are. Humility is understanding that everything we have is from the Almighty. And perhaps... I've actually seen this uh, uh, written someplace that um, our, our sages say that sometimes God sends us occasional illnesses to remind us of our humanity, to remind us how fragile we are. Put things into context. You might be getting a little bit too high on yourself. Take it easy, right? Take it easy. Hashem is reminding us exactly who we are and what we're about. Probably the most effective tool for internalizing humility is focusing on the miracles of creation. 
My rabbi used to say to me, if you want to get into the frame of mind of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Day of Judgment, says, you know what you need to do? Go to the hospital. Visit some people. See what it means to be hanging between life and death. See what it means to be, you know, holding, by, holding on by a thread. You want to know what true judgment is, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? Go visit some sick people in the hospital. And it, it, it really is a very humbling experience. experience. You know, they say that there's no atheists in the labor and delivery room, right? When you see uh, humanity coming to life, when you see, it, it really is remarkable. It really is amazing how, you know, the idea is not for us to be small, but the idea is for us to have context of our relationship between us and Hashem. Every human being created with their perfection, mind, body, soul, bones, blood, skin, fingers, toes, eyes, and ears. It's amazing the human body that we have. And then go look. I, I, once, I, I tell my children this. Take a leaf that falls off a tree and just hold it up to the sunlight and look at the magnificence of one single leaf. See all the little veins, how all the water gets distributed to the, to the leaf so that it can stay alive. It's remarkable. The whole duct system. You know what goes on in our body? I remember when I was studying for my EMT course, I was learning uh, an online course, and I started crying because we were talking about how the oxygen, the deoxygenated blood, exchanges with the oxygen that we breathe into our lungs in the alveoli, and it is the most remarkable system. And what did they say on the course? They said, well, we don't know exactly how this works. We don't know how the, the exchange of oxygen with the deoxygenated elements, right? We don't know how it works exactly, but that's the way Mother Nature made it. Mother Nature. There's a creator. There's a master of the universe, right? Who gave us this unbelievable world that we're living in. It really is to stop and to just be in awe. I was teaching a class on Friday to the girls in the girls' school online. And the, the stage that we we're talking about, we we're talking about the 48 different tools that God has given us to maximize life. Stage number five, tool number five is awe. Live in awe. You remember the first time you touched the smartphone? And you're like, what? I can see them. I can see them. They're, they're 6,000 miles away, and I can see them. They're on vacation in the Swiss Alps, and I can see them, right? It's unbelievable. Are we in awe still today? Instead, we're like, oh, it's not working. What's going on? There's no reception, right? Why is the internet so slow? That's not living in awe. Living in awe means constantly realizing that with one push of a button, what, what, what goes on? The brilliance, the intelligence that God gave to man to create these devices that we have right in front of us that are looking at us and displaying our image in front of so many wonderful people. And I'm able to see so many wonderful people. I mean, the brilliant technology that we have to not see the hand of Hashem in this would be missing out. Okay, so to stop and be in awe. Wow, what an incredible world we're living in. To see the, the, the baby steps of a child, 
literally the baby steps, but they're, they're learning to chew, they're learning to talk, they're learning to walk, they're learning to run, right? They're learning to smile every step of the way. Be in awe. A person can live in a constant love affair with the Almighty every day of life if we were just in awe, if we stopped being so busy and just said, wow, this is incredible. It really is remarkable. You know, there's, there's a, I always think about what's going to happen at the end of time. I, I have a theory, but let me share with you a, a piece of Talmud before. You know, one of the great Tanaic sages, his daughter came to him right before Shabbos. She says, what do I do? I went to the marketplace to buy oil for the Shabbos candles. And instead I bought vinegar. How am I going to light Shabbos candles? So he says, don't worry about it. The same God that said that oil will burn will make it so that vinegar will burn. Oil is a miracle too that it burns, right? So vinegar will be the same miracle and vinegar will burn. And so she lit and vinegar burned. Okay? That means we, we think, you know, think of the bridges. The bridges are made out of steel, right? Who said that steel shouldn't be like rubber? Well, God created certain guidelines in the creation of the world. And what's if God changed it? What's if God changed it that all metal melted like ice? Imagine, imagine that happened. You know what would happen to each and every one of us? We wouldn't have houses anymore because we wouldn't have nails and screws holding those beams together. We wouldn't have cars anymore. We wouldn't have any single piece of technology. You have metal in here. Everything would melt. Imagine that. If, if God changed one little piece of creation, that now metal is like ice. You wouldn't have a refrigerator. You wouldn't have a freezer. You probably wouldn't have glasses either. It, it really is. Think about that. God created remarkable creations in his world. And we take it for granted. We need to stop and and, and consider this is amazing. Okay? And by the way, the reason we're talking about this is when we do realize that, we, we suddenly say, wow, it's unbelievable. It really is a remarkable world that we're living in. Me be arrogant? What have I done? Look, I'm living in Hashem's world. Look at the magnificence of his world. Look how awesome it is. The more honorable man is, the more he recognizes his limited capacity. Therefore, the greater a person is, the more humble they are. As King David said, He says, I'm like a worm. That's what, that's what King David said. I'm like a worm, not, not a man. Who am I, right? I'm, 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 I'm an embarrassment to what you call man, God, right? You call us man that we can accomplish. What, what am I? I want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful, I, I mentioned this, I think last week I mentioned about the letter Aleph. In one of the classes I mentioned about the letter Aleph, that the letter Aleph is a combination of letters, like all letters of the alphabet. So I want to talk about a different letter today. The letter Tzadik. Okay, everyone familiar with the letter Tzadik? So if you take the letter Tzadik, I will just draw one here so that you can see. This is just a side note, sharing with you something that I... So if you look here, you see here's the letter tzaddik. 
So now it really is a combination of two letters, a letter, the two letters below it, which are Yud and Nun. What is the word Tzadik? The word Tzadik. Tzadik is righteous, right? The pious, right? So if you want to hear something mind-blowing, do you know why the Tzadik is called the Tzadik? Because the Nun bends himself over and carries another Yid, another Jew, on his shoulders. Take a look at the tzaddik. He bends over and carries another yid, another Jew on his shoulders. That's what a tzaddik is. Okay? It really is remarkable. But if you think about it, the letter Aleph also has a yud on top of him. But if you remember, a yud also has a yud beneath him. That's why the Aleph is not called a tzaddik. You can't have another Jew beneath you if you're a tzaddik. Right? You take other other Jews and you lift them up above you. You want to know what true humility is? Take another person and elevate them. Make them feel special. Make them feel good. Carry them on your shoulder. Let them shine. That is the great. That is the great level of it. It's an amazing thing. Imagine this. Imagine you get a promotion in your company, and they say, "Okay." We're giving you a promotion. You're becoming the new vice president of our company. We're, we're adding a package to your salary. We're going to add all of these other benefits. You'd be excited, right? Very special. What does Moshe do? He says, I'm not worthy. Give it to my brother. Give it to my brother Aaron. What? You got a promotion? You're thinking about your brother Aaron? You're chosen by the Almighty to take the Jewish people out? And you pass the baton and you say, no, 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 he's more worthy than I am. That's what the Mishnah says. Someone who runs after honor, honor runs away from them. Someone who runs away from honor, honor runs after them. One who craves attention hasn't found himself yet. Remember, we spoke about that last week from my grandfather. One who craves attention hasn't found himself yet. Right? If we're constantly trying to attain more for ourselves, Right? And not to give it to others. Remember the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun shines a light. The moon reflects others. The Jewish people are like the moon. We're compared to the moon. We reflect the light of the sun. When we have a chance, we reflect other people. We give other people an opportunity to shine. Right? When It's very interesting. The, the, the Talmud tells us that the first thing you're supposed to do when you speak is give honor to your host. Right? The first thing you do, give honor to your host. Who's our host? The Almighty. The Almighty is our host in this world. The first thing we do every single morning, what do we do? We say, thank you, Hashem. We start speaking in front of a gathering. Don't forget your host. Hashem and the people actually brought you there. The people who invited you to speak. Right? It's, it's such an important thing to always remember your place. Always remember your place. Humility means taking your rightful space. Complimenting others is a tool to build your, our self-confidence. We mentioned this earlier. Overcoming our arrogant tendencies is a never-ending test, which requires us to focus on our role and place at all times. Okay? It's interesting that if you look at the way they learn in the yeshiva, they learn with something called the Chavruta, which is a study partner. Now, why do they learn with a study partner? 
So my grandfather would say, because it's a special lesson in humility. Because you think one way, your study partner thinks another way. Listen to your study partner. Hear their perspective. Maybe they're right. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right and they're wrong. But listen to them. And if you look at the way Torah is learned, it's learned through this system of listening to another person first. You know why Hillel is, we know Hillel, we know about Hillel much more than we know about Shammai. Right? They were study partners. But you know why Halacha goes like Hillel? Why we rule like Hillel? Because Hillel always listened to Shammai first. Before Hillel talked, he says, Shammai, I want to hear your opinion first. Before I give you my opinion, I want you to shine. You give me your perspective. Then they were able to give their, their, their reasons. Let someone else shine first. Let someone else talk. Learning with a study partner, accepting that we don't always have the right understanding of what we learned, admitting to the truth. In conversations, let others speak first. Let them have their space and don't worry about commanding or expanding your space. Have someone you, expect, you accept from completely. Someone who can critique you and you do not answer back or justify or explain. Just take it completely. Right? Take it in completely. Whatever they say. I, I have that with my rabbi. May he live and be well in Israel. And uh, on an almost regular basis, I tell him, okay, Rebbe, time to, time to hit me over the head. Let's go. Give it to me. <laughs> right? And, and, he'll, and he'll tell me things. And sometimes it's not, not always pleasant. But guess what? You have to have someone you accept from. You have to have someone who when they say something, you take it all in.